Hello and welcome everyone to the 12th and final edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season. My name is Adam Cole, and as always, I'm joined by our other two Columbia, Missouri and Missouri football beat writers, Max Baker and Andy Kimball. And we are coming to you from a pre-recorded podcast on Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. And of course, once again, we are coming to you from three separate locations. We are not coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, where Missouri was slated to play in the trans perfect Music City Bowl this year. We got some unfortunate news. I guess that would have been at the end of last week, Sunday. I I don't know if you guys count Sunday as the start of the end of the week, but regardless, we found out that Missouri will not be playing in a bowl game this year because um, after the Mississippi State game, as well as with players going home for a week, Missouri's positive COVID cases had a bit of an uptick. Um, And so of course things had to be canceled. I don't know, a lot going on with that. I think there was a lot of confusion as to where that that uptick came from the athletic department said it kind of resulted from the, I guess, the Mississippi State game and, and travel with that. Of course, we don't know how many more positives there will be from players going home uh, for Christmas and for the holidays, but it certainly seems like there might be some other positives that come from that as well. Team activities won't resume until January 2nd, so three days from now. But what do you guys make of all this? I saw, you know, I saw a couple different tweets that were like, why did Missouri even agree to play in a bowl game if their roster was thin? But yeah, I mean, what 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 do you guys make of all this? Yeah, I mean, I have some opinions. I don't know. Uh, they're not they might be right, they might be wrong. But I don't really think it's fair for I, I mean, first of all, it's not fair to blame the student athletes, you know, the athletes. Like it, it, they wanted to go home for the holidays. If that was what they wanted to do, like that's totally fine. That's valid. They wanted to go home, like that's fair. But I don't think it's really right to say to send a hundred kids off to a hundred different cities and say, go spend time with your families, which is another you know, bunch of contacts, and then say, All right, we're gonna come back five days later and we're now we're gonna play a bowl game and we're not gonna like and we expect this to work. Like I just don't understand how that thought process went. Like you heard Konzo say, you know, he wanted his players to go home for the holidays and wear a mask and but and if they didn't play against Tennessee, they didn't play against Tennessee, and like that's okay. But I don't think it's really fair to the team they were playing to who didn't go home for the holidays to just to do to do that because like I and you can you can you can want to play in the bowl game and you can want to go home, but in this time it's just like you can't get everything you want for for everything to work. And like it just seemed like it was pretty clear that this was like not gonna work. You know, they could either go home and be with their families and then stay with their families and not play a bowl game, or they could just stay on campus like it just doesn't seem like there's any way for this to work and like they were like well this is the first time we had double digit cases and it's like well yeah it's probably the first time you send everybody home too i mean it it just it made sense yeah the one thing i was kind of confused by this whole bowl season is they didn't have any like model or like roadmap for teams to follow if you're like because i feel like if like the bowl should have had hey both teams need to do x y and z before the bowl games played to get this like through because, like, Iowa and Missouri should have had the same plan for the holidays, and I don't know why they didn't, because I feel like that's, like, where a lot of animosity comes from. Because Iowa made the sacrifice to stay home to play the game, and Missouri didn't, so I think that's why people upset each other, and I just don't know why they didn't do the same thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not even, like, it's a, it's a universal thing. There was no policy, there was no system for them to follow, but it's just, like, I feel like anybody could have told Missouri, like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Like, I just, like, even if there wasn't a universal system, like, it just this isn't gonna work i don't know yeah. if that makes sense but it just yeah. i don't know how I, how could this have worked it, it, it the missouri's already low on numbers i just if nobody gets COVID somehow like yeah i mean they, 
Yeah, I know like some players went home during that team's bye week and they were able to make it work out, which I don't know if that was like luck or with the virus or anything. So I think like it was just hoping, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess I think it's like, I don't know if I was if I was Eli Drinkwitz, I know he has like a bonuses contract for a bowl game, but I would just be like, okay, if we play, we play. If not, like whatever. Because I don't know. I feel like it's not like bowl games are like exhibition games. So I don't think, I think they should have had a plan to like play, do everything to play the game when they accepted the invitation. But I also don't think like, I don't think it's really. But if you wanted to play the bowl game, you can't. You you, you don't go home for the holidays if you play in a yeah. bowl game normally. Yeah. Like it's just this year was different. Yeah, I think it was definitely kind of like just a, I guess almost a a miscommunication. Excuse me, a miscommunication of expectations. I know Max, you mentioned not everyone can get what they they want right now, and I think they're definitely you know it needs to be recognized, especially considering. I mean, Iowa definitely made a sacrifice because they had their own uptick in COVID numbers. And of course, nobody went home for the holidays. And, you know, I think, I think the expectation just needed to be clearly communicated that like, cause I mean, Drinkwitz and correct me if I'm wrong. He said that he did, he did recognize that there was some risk in sending these guys home. If, if I remember right. But, you know, I think that needed to be clearly communicated from the onset that, you know, we're going to send these guys home because they deserve to see their families for the holidays. Just like, I think, you know, every student athlete who has been through a fall regular season in 2020 probably, you know, does deserve to see their family for the holidays. But like, they're, you know, kind of like you said, like Conzo Martin talked about with the men's basketball team today that, you know, they went home for the holidays. And if they didn't end up playing, you know, this Tennessee team on Wednesday, that that was going to be the case. And, and so be it. I, I, you know, all I heard was we want to play in a bowl game. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I think everyone does, but you know, if you don't, if you don't take the precautions and, and clearly explain the expectations, then I don't know what's expected when you get to this point. But, but now, um, now, now it's even more of a mess because now you had kids who were planning to fly home from the bowl game to see their families. And now like you got all these kids that are just now all in Columbia who now are flying home in two days. Like it's just, I think the whole thing's just a mess. I don't uh, know. It definitely, it definitely is a mess. And it's, it's funny too, because I think with this season, like, it's not like, you know, I, I don't think there are any fingers to point. And like you said, like, I mean, none of those kids are to blame by any means. And like, I don't even, I even hesitate to like point a finger at Drinkwitz, even though I know that he was like, you know, I take, you know, if there's anyone to take blame, it's me just cause it's like, it's so, I don't know, like this has just been such an unprecedented year beyond football. And, you know, as we head into the twilight of it, it's hard to sit here and blame all of this on on anyone at, at, at any load. So, you know, it's it's certainly it sucks, I think, is is the best way to put it plain and simple is just like it, it freaking sucks. And it's, you know, go figure that this season ended the way it did for Missouri. I think it was the eighth game they've had either rescheduled or relocated because, of course, the LSU game in week three got relocated. But that was because of a hurricane. Definitely a weird way to go out for sure. But. I guess kind of shifting from that, you know, we wrap up with a a 10 game SEC only regular season that, you know, finished at five and five and going back and looking at the season as a whole, what, what do you guys take from this before we get into, we will have some superlatives here in a second, but before we get into those, you know, what are your guys' biggest takeaways from the season? Kind of thought the Mississippi state game was sort of indicative of the, their struggles on the road. You know, we didn't really talk. That wasn't really a narrative because Missouri's road games were super spread out, like between their first road game, like the Tennessee game when they lost 35 to 12 to Tennessee on the road. Like that's a really bad loss looking at it now against Florida and against Mississippi State. They got crushed. And then against South Carolina, they really didn't look good after their South Carolina's coach got fired and they were playing a backup quarterback. So it's just like I think that 
it showed that, you know, Missouri really struggled on the road. Their only road win, you know, they had South Carolina. And then I guess LSU was technically a road win, even though it was played at their home stadium. So they really struggled on the road. The, I mean, but it was overall, it was a good season for Missouri. I mean, Drakewitz really likes to hype up the, Coachingers likes to hype up the five and five. Who would have had us at five and five? Which I didn't have them at five and five. None of us had them at five and five. But yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I think like the biggest thing was the offense like wasn't extremely consistent, but there were like moments where like, there was like stuff to be excited about, like especially with Basilek in the passing game, which I think like last year that was the biggest like question mark for them was like their offense and who would like play quarterback. And so I think they've like, even they might not have like solved it with Basilek, but they have a good like answer, I think. Even if like Tyler, like they have someone who at least will be like competent for like a for like a couple of years, which I think is good. And I mean, I think like I know it looked like the wheels for a defense fell off at the end of the year, but with the Mississippi State game, I think it's hard to like really judge that because they had like a wide receiver and a former quarterback playing defensive back. So yeah, I think like the biggest takeaway is like the offense, I think has like potential in the next couple of years. I don't know. We'll see like replacing Roundtree will be hard, but I think that that's like the biggest takeaway for me. And then I think their defense was a little disappointing at the end of the year, but that was really kind of it. Yeah, their defense was really, I mean, there were a lack of guys, but everyone yeah. kind of had that. The defense is, it just was not, no, it, it was not a good pat. Like it was just not a good defense at all at the end of the year. I mean, they were down guys, but as we said, yeah, no, I was really, I was, I was baffled by the, I, I honestly think all year I was kind of maybe more so towards the end than at the start. Cause the LSU game confused me a ton. Cause I would, I would say that objectively they did not play good defense, but still I was like impressed by them, even though they let, you know, I think Eric Gilbert and then um, I'm blanking on the name of the other LSU. Yeah, Terrace Marshall, they they combined for like, I swear it was like over 250 yards receiving and like four touchdowns. And I mean, they just, they lit up that, the secondary, I would say consistently was not that great. I think they have some young pieces, like Rakestraw, Ennis Rakestraw, I think is going to be really good um, by the time it's said and done. But I, I just, I'm really curious to see where the defense goes. Once we got to the end of the year, I was really happy to see that they had somebody on their defensive line who was like a pass rushing threat because I just feel like they've lacked that for so long. Um, So that's certainly good to see, especially with eight defensive linemen coming in with this 2021 signing class. I'm I'm curious to see who shows up alongside Trajan Jeffcoat. I'm assuming Kobe Whiteside will be back next year since he didn't participate in senior game or senior day festivities. And he had seven and a half sacks. That would have been two years ago. And Jeffcoat only had six this year. So I'm, I'm curious to see how the defense like grows from this year, because certainly like there's so much room for improvement. And like, if anything, I, I like, I think it's to the point where, you know, we all came into the year talking about, you know, Ryan Walters could be a head coach by the end of this year. And like, I can see his name still popping up in some coaching searches, but I honestly think the defense was so mediocre this year that he'll probably stick around for at least another year, if not more. I'm curious to see how that defense grows. And then Andy, you kind of touched on it. The thing that I'm most curious about is seeing what the offense does in terms of living without Larry Roundtree, because I kind of feel like I felt like they lived and died by the run this year, but going back and looking at it, they kind of lived and died by Larry Roundtree. And Tyler Beatty was a huge X factor, but I don't know that he'll provide the same kind of consistency that Roundtree did. So that's that's something I'm really intrigued by. And like Elijah Young, I think had some flashes this year. I, I'm curious what the run game will be in this 2021 offense um, after looking at everything. Wrapping things up in terms of season recap, uh, we have a few little superlatives that we, we want to uh, give out and discuss this year. And I think we'll start off with who we all think is... Missouri's offensive player of the year this year. So Max, do you want to kick that off? Yeah, I think 
Uh, you know, I, this is a one that like really was, I was going back and forth on because you could give it to like Larry Borum or something, but I think, I honestly think it was probably Larry Roundtree was probably the offensive player of the year, just because of how much they relied on him down the stretch and in those like final games. I mean, it was like every game he was racking up, you know, I don't even know how many, he had three touchdowns and I think it was two separate games, something like that. And, you know, he just, he just was someone they just relied on down the stretches. You were just, you know, sort of alluding to, he almost had a thousand yards. He would have had it if they played in the bowl game, but in just a 10 game season. And so I think he, you know, his 14 touchdowns, his, you know, almost a thousand yard season. And, you know, they only ran the ball with Tyler Beatty 48 times, which is not a lot. And it's, you know, it's an average of like four times a game and down, you know, last couple of games, it was, they didn't even use him more than once. I think it was. Um, so I think he, it's him, but you know, you could make the case there was someone on the offensive line like Borum, but, that's probably who I'd give it to. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have to go with Ramtree just because he was like the main um, source of their offense. In that game against Kentucky, I think that was the biggest thing for me. I mean, he basically won. I mean, him and the defense basically won them that game. Because, I mean, he he wasn't super efficient, but he was able to carry he's, He was able to carry the ball like 20 to 30 times a game when you needed to. And he was like, he basically kind of set up the rest of the offense and was able to, I think, make Bazelak pretty efficient. I mean, up until the last, like, he wasn't very good in the last game, but... Up until that, probably the season, he made it really easy for him, kind of. And so I think that was his biggest value, arguably, because Basilek had a really good year, too. But I think that was mostly relying and kind of playing off Roundtree. I want to acknowledge how consistent Connor Basilek was all year. Like, I was I was really baffled by that, especially with how, like, young he is, too. You know, it's just, it's funny because I've, I've, you know, all three of us, you know, were young and around when Drew Locke was here. And I think we all kind of watched Drew Locke progress. And, you know, even in his last couple of years, he still did some things that made you kind of scratch your head. And I feel like he's, for a lot of Mizzou fans in, in recent memory, kind of a barometer for quarterbacking here in the last couple of years anyways. And I just, it, it felt like night and day um, in terms of, you know, sometimes you'd see head scratching stuff from from Locke, but I, I felt like you just never really saw that many bad decisions from Basilak until Mississippi State, he he didn't have a great game there. He came back down to earth. But, like, I think I'd give it to Roundtree, too, just because, I mean, seriously, like, he he had 14 touchdowns, which led the team, um, like you guys mentioned, almost rushed for 1,000 yards, uh, was just a, a consistent workhorse and seemed like kind of the engine that made that offense truck along. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say we're pretty much all in consensus that Larry Roundtree was the most valuable person on the offensive side of the ball. But looking at the defense, uh, who do you guys have? I think Jeff Coates, like even, you know, you could say his six sacks were underrated or, you know, we're not as underrated. I mean, they, they were underrated. You, you know, he didn't get a lot of attention in terms of like um, national recognition. But I think he six sacks in an all SEC schedule is just a lot. Kobe White said seven and a half. I, can't, I don't remember the game by game breakdown with his, but they were you know, I just I just think six sacks in the OCC schedule is just really impressive, and it was I think second most in the in the league, and third so I think most, I think it was third most. Third most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At one point he was tied for the lead, but then he, I, you know I think I was towards the with maybe two games left to go. So yeah, I think it would be him. I mean, you could make the case it was Martez Manuel or Nick Bolton or somebody, and I mean Nick Bolton was probably like we'll get to the probably MVP, but like. You know, he's up there, but I think, you know, Jeff Coat, I just don't think he gets a lot of attention for what he did in six sacks in the SEC season. It's just, that's pretty incredible for somebody that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think Jeff Coat's definitely the biggest surprise or like I'm, like the most surprising or most improved, whatever you want to call it this year. But I think Bolin's probably the best defensive player just because, I mean, he like, I think as a linebacker, you're able to 
he was able to kind of affect the game in more ways, even though Jeffco was really, really good. And I think he didn't get enough attention because like no, nobody was thinking of him as an all-SEC guy when he joined the team. I mean, he didn't even practice in the spring with the team. He joined the team in like August or September. And like, I, I think that's crazy. But I think like, yeah, I mean, Bolton was really the catalyst for that defense. And I mean, you kind of see like without him against Arkansas, they play, I mean, they didn't play extremely well with him in the first half. They, you could see kind of a difference even in that second half without him. And I think like kind of more to, like, I know he, he was really great and he was like an All-American like player. And so I think like losing him and a lot of other players should kind of temper expectations for the second year for Missouri. Yeah, I definitely think I'd, I think I'd go with Bolton too. Cause it's just, and you even, I mean, you look at him on paper and, you know, I, I think it's really easy to say that like a guy's, you know, stats pop off the page, but even still, like, I just feel like the film kind of backs it up for Bolton. Like, I mean, he's just always there. I, I He had like eight sacks this year, I think. No, no, no. He didn't have eight sacks this year. Sorry. He had eight sacks for his career, but he had like two sacks this year and a, a decent chunk of, of his tackles were tackles for loss. And like, he had like five passes defended, you know, I mean, he's just all over the field um, and he's able to impact the game in so many different ways. And I think Andy, kind of like you said, I think that'll really, his value will show through next year when they don't have him on the field, even more so. And, you know, I think that like, I just think he's, he's probably their most valuable defender. Um, I think there were, you know, a lot of bright spots this year. I think that like, of course, Jeff Coat was a huge bright spot. Martez Manuel, the way he stepped up, I know Max, you mentioned him, but like huge bright spot. He will be one of the guys that I think bolsters that defense for the next few years. And then got mentioned earlier, I think Reg Straw is going to be really good next year and continue to just improve and improve. But I think Bolton is definitely that guy this year. And then before we get into most valuable player, why don't we do, we have it written down as biggest surprise of the year. And so unless you guys are dead set on just wanting to say a certain player, let's just do like, like just biggest surprise, whether that's an individual performance or group performance or defying expectations, whatever else. Yeah. I think the biggest surprise was probably Marta's manual. I mean, it, you know, it, it was either him or, you know, I think on the offensive side of the ball, you could probably get one on each. You could say it was Connor Bazelak just because I think a lot of people had sort of written him off in the starting quarterback job. But I think, I think it was Marta's manual because coming into the year, he only had one, start and it was because of a targeting call last year from Gillespie in the Vanderbilt game so I, that's that's personally who I think I would give it to as the biggest surprise and just how well he performed I know he didn't make an all-SEC team but he was probably you know close and probably on some people's ballots I don't we don't vote I don't think Adam was given a vote I don't think Andy was given a vote this year some year you know that's my goal one of my goals in life we get a vote for all-SEC team so yeah I mean I probably I don't I don't know enough about safeties in the Southeastern Conference, but I probably would have given him a vote just because I saw him. He, he had a you know a great year, he had a couple tackles for loss. I think it was two and a half or three two and a half against Alabama. Just he he had an all around nice year, and it was sort of a surprise because you heard a lot about Gillespie and Bledsoe coming in, but you didn't really know who was going to take over that third spot, and he did it really nicely. Yeah, I would kind of, on the defensive side, I think it is like Emmanuel and Jeffcoat because I think like Manuel is going to really ease like that bird of losing Bledsoe and Gillespie this year just because I like that's that was a thing like coming in during the season when we saw it they were going to the senior bowl wondering who would like replace any of them 
and we thought it could maybe be like a more experienced player like Stacey Brown. But I think Manuel, like really, I think also he'll be able to play all three safety spots. So I think that'll make him really interesting for next year to see where he plays. I mean, I think he's best in the spot he's in and he was like an all-SEC player. But but yeah, I think that'll be like really interesting. I think I think Jeff Coates probably the most surprising for me because I didn't even know if he would like start or play at all when he came into the season. Defensive side, he's probably the most surprising for me. And then also I think on the offensive side, it would be Larry Borum just because we didn't really think he was going to, or I didn't think personally he would have like at the chance to be an NFL guy. And the way he played, he was, I mean, a borderline all, borderline all SEC player this year. I'm really torn. I think there's a really obvious one. Uh, well, and that's beyond, I, I think the most obvious one is the fact that like they went five and five, because I don't think really any of us much expected that. But I think that like, I think this year Missouri solidified itself as like upper middle class of the SEC, if that makes any sense at all. Like there's a very thin line of like Missouri, Arkansas, and then Auburn, I would say, is in that group of three. Um, that's kind of in the middle. But in terms of individual performances, I think the biggest one, I would say the whole offensive line was the biggest surprise of the year for me. I don't think any of us expected Larry Borum to be that good. You know, of course, Case Cook was, uh, I guess, a, a stalwart at kind of right guard spot. And Mayetti came in and did what was expected. But that left side of the line was such a huge question mark. And that's, you know, that's such a valuable, as silly as it sounds to say, valuable side of the offensive line. And, you know, Zeke Powell and Xavier Delgado got the job done. And, you know, we don't even think about the fact that, okay, yeah, Borum's not back next year but like Hyron White is um and I would imagine that he'll come in and, and fill that spot just fine my other thought Kiki Chisholm I I know he had a really he had a super lame first half of the year but like dude figured it out by the end dude leads the team in receiving yards he doesn't lead them in receptions I think Jalen Knox does but he caught fire by the end and he's coming back next year. And I think that even if he's not the biggest surprise of this year, which I, I think I don't, I wouldn't say he was, but like he was still surprising. I think he's somebody that people definitely need to watch out for next year because with the way that he was talked about over this off season, he was supposed to be the number one guy and he really wasn't through the first half of the year. And then towards the end, like, he showed himself capable of being that deep threat that the passing game needs. And so they'll have Jalen Knox back next year. They'll have Kiki Chisholm back. It'll definitely be interesting to see how those guys just kind of mix and mold that passing attack. So I definitely, I give it to the offensive line, but keep an eye on, keep an eye on Kiki Chisholm next year, for sure. For sure. So with those superlatives, we now, um, for the last time this year, possibly the last time ever, um, head into everyone's favorite game ever of all time. I know Max loves when I say that. Um, mascot Melee. And uh, here's the breakdown. Uh, each week we're going to give you our predictions for who would win in a fight between Truman the Tiger or Missouri's opponent's mascot. Of course, this week there is no game, but we are still going to take you through that hypothetical. And we'll get to that in a second. But, um, of course, to add a little variety, a little razzle-dazzle, um, we always we always pick our favorite mascot matchups from around the country every single week, and this time we are doing a bowl season edition uh, of our favorite picks. And so without further ado, I am going to kick things off with Andy Kimball. Take us through your pick of the week. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, this is a pre-recorded podcast, so a couple hours before this bowl game got canceled because of COVID issues, so... That's unfortunate, but my pick was the Texas Bowl between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the TCU Horned Frogs. Both these animals are really pointing, I think, have similar 
I don't know how to really gauge this, but I think they have similar vibes of being like on the smaller side and kind of feisty. You know, they're kind of like, you know, I don't know. You wouldn't see them as like threatening initially, but I think they're kind of, they would be annoying to fight against. And I think both their teams have honestly been like that. They're like defensive-minded teams that have kind of stuck around in games. So, but I think in terms of the mascots, I would go with actually the horned frogs because they're smaller, but fun fact about horned frogs or horned lizards is they can shoot blood five feet out of their eyes. And so like- the fact? Yeah, it's a fact. It's You're- true. Wikipedia and you say it's true. So I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the second time you've had a TCU matchup this year. Oh, I might have. I think it is. And so, I, so I think I'm, I can't remember if I said that earlier this year or not. I think, I think, we, but I think we've gone through that once. But honestly, like I don't fault you one bit because I think that's one of the funniest mascots like in college right. sports because it's just like they're a menacing looking animal. But I really don't think yeah. they do much other than the blood eye thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a great matchup. Yeah. So I think I, I'll probably end up picking the horned frog, but it would be tough because the Razorback could, if it gets through the blood, it would have an easy, easy dub. So you never know. I was going to say that. I think that Razorback, I got to be honest, I know it's not my pick, but I think that Razorback would just demolish, demolish a horned frog. Absolutely. Yeah, We're going to go ahead with my matchup and save Max's for last best for last always let's face it guys max is the mvp of mascot melee he always does such a good job with this um but i am going with the outback bowl between the indiana hoosiers um and the mississippi they are known as the rebels i will personally say on this podcast for pretty obvious reasons i do not recognize them as the rebels i don't write rebels in my copy ever but i picked this one because of course i've i've picked indiana before um, in mascot melee, um, the Hoosiers have had a great season and I think they are a funny mascot because, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a person from Indiana, but a few years ago, two years ago, to be exact, Mississippi actually switched up its mascot and added an alternate, even though they are still commonly referred to as the rebels. They also have a mascot, uh, named Tony, the land shark and Tony, the land shark is an anthropomorphic. I said that right. I think shark. Um, so he's like half human, half shark. And he's named after former football player, Tony fine. This game itself. Let's give you a little rundown of that real quick. It's going to be on at 1130 AM central time on, uh, on Saturday, January 2nd. So happy new year. Uh, we got a really interesting matchup as always. you got that high flying Lane Kiffin offense versus what Tom Allen's done all year. Uh, no Michael Penix, of course, uh, which is unfortunate. I hope he is healing up from what I believe was an ACL tear this year. I'm still going to take Indiana because they've just had a ridiculous season, but, uh, you know, SEC team will always give them a fight between a land shark and a native Indianan. Um, I am going to take the half human, half shark person to just absolutely obliterate an Indiana native. Um, I'm sorry. That's twice now that I have picked against Indiana natives. If you're from the state of Indiana, it is nothing personal. I think they're our largest viewing area. That has to be it. It has to be it. But yeah. So give me, give me the land sharks every time, every time. That's a good thing. I like, I like that. Yeah. Mine is sort of an interactive game, uh, but I, cause I have a question. What, you're thinking of a recovering gator. What are you thinking of right now? Recovering gator? Like, like what? Do you, how do you mean? Like, if a gator's recovering, you're thinking, probably thinking of what? Like, the SEC championship, they're recovering from that loss, maybe? I, Max, I got to be honest, and this is maybe a little PG-15, but, like, when I hear the word recovering in front of anyone, I just think recovering alcoholic. Okay, that's so not- I think of it in that form. I don't think of it like on an injury basis, but no, I mean that that, that was a pretty tough game. I mean that was that was a hard pill to swallow yes. for for Florida for sure. 
Yeah, well, as of now, there's actually another recovering gator that you probably have not heard of. And it is in southwest Florida. There was a gator that was rescued from a storm drain on Christmas Day. And it's now recovering at a local alligator farm. According, This is according to Ray the Trapper. Um, I don't know if Ray's last name is the Trapper or if Ray is just a trapper. Um, but the alligator is measured at nine feet and seven inches long and had gotten stuck in a two-by-two stormwater catch basin and injured himself while struggling, according Wait, to Ray. This, this was a nine-foot alligator that got stuck in like a two-foot-wide storm drain? Yeah, and he was hurt himself trying to get out. How does that happen? Well, I don't know, but if you want, we can have... I, we've been talking about a lot of the hypothetical guests. I think Ray the Trapper would be a good person to have on this show. Well, <laughs> next year's beat writers will have to find yeah. him. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, so Ray the Trapper, um, I think, has been taking care of it. And the, the gator was released to the farm on Monday and is already healing. Um, and then they also said another seven-foot gator and four Muscovy ducks. I know, throwback to the ducks last, I think that was last week. So another, you know, almost like a callback. They were re- released on the property as well. So the Muscovies, the ducks are not native and can only be released under certain guidelines. So, you know, if you needed to know that. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, I, I don't know that the Gators are going to be ready for the game, which is tomorrow, according to this pre-recorded podcast. It is, you know, it, it is on, you know, I think it's on ESPN at seven o'clock. Yeah, the Cotton Bowl. So I, I really like the Sooners. I don't know what a Sooner is, but I'd rather, I think they're going to be healed sooner than the Gators. So, so I'll go with. Sooner <laughs> is like a, it's like somebody who went across the, the West in a, a, when everything was getting settled shortly after the Louisiana purchase and they ride in schooners, you know, like the, the, the big thing that fell over when Oklahoma, do you remember that thing, but it doesn't make any sense. That's a schooner. And it has something to do with sooner schooner boomer sooner. I I don't know. Ask an Oklahoman because I don't know. I don't think we have a lot of, I think we mainly have Indiana listeners on our show. I I think you're right. I think you're right. But uh, you're, you're, you're locking in with the sooners on this one. Yeah. I just don't think the Gators are going to be healed in time. Well, there you go. They're getting better. I mean, next year is probably their year. There you go. There you have it. So uh, with that, we are into our mascot melee main event, the final one of the year, um, with a canceled game this week uh, between the Missouri Tigers and the Iowa Hawkeyes, the number 15 Iowa Hawkeyes to be exact. This game was set to kick off tomorrow. Uh, That would be December 30th at 3 p.m. in Nashville. But unfortunately, uh, game canceled because of, you know, as we discussed, a rise in COVID numbers for the Tigers. But we have got Truman the Tiger versus Herky the Hawk. And I know that we touched on Truman at the start of the year. But just for one last time, I'm going to give a rundown of Truman before we get into Herky. Um, Before we even get into Truman, the nickname Tigers at the University of Missouri was adopted in 1890 to honor uh, Civil War defenders who, if I am correct, defended the Boone County Courthouse um, from, if I'm right, Confederate soldiers because – as I've learned since coming to Mizzou, Missouri is technically a battleground state. It had both, uh, it had both Union and Confederate soldiers. Uh, that is an absolute tangent. But uh, fast forward to 1984, uh, the school named its mascot Truman uh, after a contest, uh, which was held by cheerleaders, a naming contest, um, and. 
Truman is named for Harry Truman, who was a former president of the United States, born in Independence, Missouri, a suburb of Kansas City. Uh, previously, uh, before Truman, there was one male and female tiger mascot, but neither were named. Um, and Truman made his first appearance in 1986. And according to the school website, his favorite food is Jayhawk stew, which is, of course, named for that school to the west uh, of Missouri. But getting into Herky the Hawk. Let's break it down here. In, 19, in 1948, excuse me, um, an Iowa journalism instructor, actually, Richard Spencer, uh, sketched a cartoon of a hawk for the athletic department that they wanted to use as a symbol uh, for their teams. But the university left the naming of Herky to uh, fans, and an alumnus ended up suggesting the name Herky um, as a reference to Hercules, which I don't really think has a direct tie to the University of Iowa at all. Um, but Adam, that's... Huh? They run deep. They do? Those, yeah. those connections, those Greek connections run deep at the University of Iowa? Yeah. There you go. Um, but that is how Herky basically came to be. Uh, since 1948, we have had Herky out and about and around. And of course, he's undergone some you know, touch-ups from year to year. But here's one touch-up that I found really interesting, actually. Uh, on November, I'm going to read you guys the Wikipedia excerpt here. Uh, on November 22, 1997, this would have been 23 years ago, uh, during a below freezing uh, Iowa win over the University of Minnesota, a drummer for the Minnesota band had a cup of water thrown on him by Herky, which I'm assuming this drummer did not like, of course, because it was below freezing. Um, and so this cup was actually thrown on the drummer uh, because he used his drumstick to tap on Herky's shoulder pad. So I guess Herky didn't like that. But um, as Herky started walking away, the drummer, who must have been upset, actually tackled Herky from behind. Um, and uh, instead of just trying to like get up and not worry about it. Uh, Herky actually socked the dude in the face and broke his glasses, um, which ended up uh, in breaking uh, his own head, the mascot head, because I believe there was a punch back. Um, and so this mascot head, which was about 40 years old, got broken by the drummer in retaliation. Um, and members of the Minnesota band actually took uh, pieces of the head as a trophy so there's that. And then um, basically the head now for Herky is actually made of carbon fiber. You wouldn't be able to tell it, but they did that after because they didn't want it to ever break again in, in case, of course, you know, Herky got assaulted. So um, hypothetically, Herky is about to get assaulted again um, because you've got Truman and Herky at the 50-yard line, no holds bar. Who have you guys got? Before, I got two questions before I make a decision. So what's the verdict on that fight with the drummer? Is Herky 1-0 or 0-1? What are we saying there? I I think I think it's a draw because I think Herky broke the only equivalent to like a mascot yeah. helmet for this dude and, and, you know, knocking his glasses off his face, but also vice versa. Like, I mean, Herky put up a fight, but, you know, yeah. Herky got hit back. So I think that's, that's a tough one for me, Max. What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I I think your judgment is better than mine. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, what is, what's your reasoning? I just, you know, both people got, both parties got hit. Something got broke for both parties. I think it's a draw. Okay. And then number two, can Herky fly? He's a hawk, Herky, but can he fly? Herky has wings, but Herky's humanoid. So like, I don't know. I really don't think he can. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Truman then. I feel like because if Herky's already got a fight against a drummer, I mean, who didn't use his drum? I think that I think that's a low strength of schedule. If the drummer uses a drum, obviously it changes the equation. But he's got a draw and he can't fly, and he's got those like little like bird legs. I think it's got to be Truman. Finally, someone else picks Truman with me. I mean, like, of course I'm going Truman. I mean, he also, you know, in in his he he started training and playing in the cheerleading competition in 2004. 2006 he made the finals and got eighth out of ten. That's pretty bad. So I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if he started competing in 2004, 2006, he was doing better. But I don't, I don't like Herky. Like Herky just. I, if you're going to pretend to be related to Hercules and there's no ties, like that doesn't go well for me. I mean, I don't like the, there just it doesn't seem to be a whole lot adding up with Herky. So give me Truman. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I got to say, Max, I completely agree with you. There's not a lot adding up for me with Herky either. I don't think he's a super exciting mascot, but I will say this. I think we've talked a lot this year about mascots that are like built to fight and like built for camera ops. And I think that holistically we can agree that Truman was built more for camera ops than he was for fighting. Herky, his body is actually based off of a blend of former Iowa wrestler, Barry Davis, as well as cartoon superhero, Mighty Mouse. And although he is Mighty Mouse, he is still a superhero. Um, and yeah, like he can't fly, but I think Herky is built to fight. I think Herky's built to be tough, even though I don't see the correlation between Hercules and the University of Iowa. I think that this is still a scrappy dude at the end of the day. Of course, I mean, he got in a fight. He was the one to punch first. So at the end of the day, like I love Truman and I think Truman will put up a fight, but I'm taking Herky. I'm taking Herky. Yeah, I will say the carbon fiber made it t- made it a tough call for me. That's a game changer. But I think I think Truman could overcome. I I think Truman like seriously. I think it would be a great fight. I think it would be one of the best matchups that that Truman's had all year. But like that carbon fiber helmet is another thing. Like you can't you can't physically rattle him like in the head. So I'm taking Herky with that one for sure. But I think with that uh, that does it for the final edition of tiger kickoff the podcast for the 2020 college football season um as always i am adam colt joined by max baker and andy kimball who are technically for this last week i would say still the missouri football beat writers at the university uh, of missouri's school of journalism columbia missourian newspaper um and as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Cole Reporter, at by Andy Kimball, and at Max Baker underscore 15. Uh, we're, we've got our plans for next semester, but uh, I'm sure that if you guys follow along, you'll see where life takes us moving forward. Um, and as always, if you're tuning in to hear more news from the Columbia Missourian, you can follow uh, the Columbia Missourian on Twitter at Co Missourian or head to their website at www.columbiamissourian.com. 